0: That's all you can do. If you have your Bibles, please join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. We've been talking about Engage, Connect, Serve. This is the final uh, in this series. Next week, we're going to start an Easter series, and we'll get into that later. So 1 Thessalonians, a little background here. Uh, Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, uh, they were running together at this time. 50 AD on Paul's second missionary journey. The audience was newly converted Gentiles uh, in northern Greece, which is Thessaloniki. is what they call it, but we call it Thessalonian, uh, Thessalonians. It was written from Corinth, and the purpose was Paul was thankful for their faith. He also wanted to give uh, basic Christian principles. The big issue with First and Second Corinthians was eschatology. And that's a big fancy word for the end times. And so uh, in 2 Thessalonians, he gets a little deeper. Do not be disturbed as if the day of the Lord had already come. Uh, supposing a letter from us, Paul says, no. You guys know we've talked about this. The day of the Lord has not come yet, and still has not come. So that's the background for 1 Thessalonians and ultimately 2 Thessalonians. One of the things that Paul is most concerned about is the gospel. And in this verse right here, you can see that the gospel is present. It is an ever-present issue for Paul. And when we get into well we go to Second Timothy, that's the last one he ever wrote, then he was poured out like a drink offering. But for Paul, the gospel was central. And let me say this: The gospel has to be central to the life of the church. We have the good news for a world that is in darkness, and therefore, the gospel and the preaching of the gospel must be central to the life of the church. That's why in Southern Baptist churches in particular, the pulpit is central, behind us is the baptismal and the cross. All of those, those are theological uh, ascetics. They're ways that say, this is what is important to us as a body of Christ. And of course the gospel is central to that. So when we talk about ministry and the gospel, and we're at serve right now. So we engage God in worship, we engage the lost in evangelism. We connect people around God's word for fellowship and spiritual growth. We serve the church, the community, and the world. And, and part of that is the gospel message. And so as we first look at this, the church is not going to be unchallenged by the culture. In fact, you're confronted with this stuff Every day. When I watch the news, I always try to watch one hour of news at lunch. And I see a bunch of stuff. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The way that we're going to change the culture, please listen to this. The way that we're going to change the culture is not through political leanings. It is through winning people to Christ. And therefore the culture begins to slowly change politicians, they might be a means by which things change. But ultimately, in order to change the culture, the church has to be involved in evangelism. And we need to be telling others about Christ. And as we, I don't want to use this term, but as we win one by one by one by one, we begin to see cultural change. So, First of all, as we do this work of ministry, and as we focus on ministry, we have to work through hardships. Notice what Paul says here in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. This, this is a big one, because uh, as we do ministry, we sometimes, within the body of Christ, become frustrated. I don't see anything happening. No, it's not making a difference. Uh, I don't know if you all follow. You probably don't because I'm the only one that sees these numbers. Maybe Brian and a few others. Uh, just to give you an example, we're we're a smaller church. I I I get that, and I would like our numbers to come up, and I'd like more people to, to become involved. But let me let me tell you this. Last Sunday, there were 133 downloads of my sermon. You guys don't see this. The week before, there were 90 something. And so, there is an audience out there that is listening to our worship services. So, oftentimes, when you're doing ministry, you go, You know what? I don't see any fruit. I don't see any evidence. Listen to what Paul says. For you yourselves, brothers, know that our coming was not in vain. Kinos, which means without results or effect. Every ministry that you do in the church, whether it's sending cards out, whether it's cleaning the church, whether it's doing Sunday school, you are having an effect. Anything done in the name of Christ has an effect. I remember years ago, um, Alister Begg, when he was a, a young pastor, it was like one of his first or second or third sermons. Um, Alistair Begg got up to the pulpit Shaking behind the pulpit. I've been there, done that. Scared to death thinking, wow. You know, the first time I preached, my sermon was 12 minutes. And I thought I was in the pulpit for at least 45. And uh, I got down and I wanted to say, the buses will wait on you. Just come forward. (laughs) Alistair Begg preached, it was either the first, second, or third sermon. He left the pulpit dejected. He left, he got down, and his mentor, the senior pastor, behind closed doors, grabbed Alistair and shook him. And he said this, if you have steak, preach steak. If you have hamburger, preach hamburger. In other words, it doesn't matter what is going on around you, you have a mission to do. And the Apostle Paul was so convinced, even though he could probably not see the evidence, So he was getting reports and stuff, could not see the evidence, Paul knew no matter what, that God was greater than anything, and that anything done in the name of God bears fruit. His word does not return void. You all know that. So as you get in your ministries and as you do your ministries, you get four people to show up for a ministry. You've got four people. If you have hamburger, minister to hamburger. If you have 50 people, if you have steak, minister steak. The fact is, Paul says, no matter what happens, I know that my coming to you was not in vain. And it's easy, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to get frustrated in ministry. But you have to look back and say, wait a minute. A couple of years ago, I think it was before the pandemic, I got a letter at Christmas. Now we're going back 15 years. I got a letter at Christmas a few years ago. I think it was 2019, 2018. Please don't hold me to that. Um, From a couple in my previous church that sent me a letter saying, thank you, you saved our marriage. Out of nowhere. It is a reminder that the people that you touch We'll never forget. And that what you do in your life matters. Even if it's not on the grand scale. Even if it's not worldly known to others. It's known to God. And so you do your ministries. Work hard at it. Notice here in verse 2. But though we had already already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know... Proposco, which means agony, that's the word for suffered. Shamefully treated, I like this word. Hubrizo, Hubrizo. Sounds like a breeze going through. Insulted, insulted. Paul and Silas, the reference here is to when Paul and Silas were in prison and they were in jail. They were beaten, they were flogged, they were ridiculed. By the way, for the record, Paul was a Roman citizen. A lot of people don't know that. Paul could have, while he was in jail, say, I'm a Roman citizen, I have rights. Paul didn't do that. Paul said, you know what? I'm taking this one for the gospel. He brings it up at a very uh, pivotal point right here. My friend, Newt Larson, um, Pastor Newt Larson, shouldn't reference him as Newt, but Pastor Newt Larson, he wrote this in his commentary. After being arrested and beaten, Paul and Silas spent the night in a Philippian jail, In the morning, the magistrates of the town sent their their assistants to Paul and Silas and tell them they were free as though nothing had happened. And by the way, Paul never really sought restitution. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Paul and Silas in the midnight hour pray? And from that bad event, Who got saved? The Philippian jailer. Not only that, if you follow the narrative, it goes through his family too. Quite amazing. Even in the midst of struggles and hardships, which ministry is. Ministry, and I'm talking not just pastors, but everybody that does ministry, is not for the faint of heart. And if you want results, big results, that usually doesn't happen. It's in the trenches, you Sunday school teachers. It's in the trenches where these young kids go, I remember that. It's in the trenches where work, the work of God takes place. And in the trenches, that brings about change in the life of one or two people. And I tell you what, uh, um, I've preached to seven people before little church when I was in Bible college near Tallahassee wanted me to come and, and preach. And I, uh, those days I was flat broke. I had left the military, went to Bible college. And I was, had a half a tank of gas, so I drove from Graceville to near Tallahassee. And I was thinking, well, at least when I preach, I'll get some money, a little bit of money to, to buy food for the next week. I'm not kidding you. We were broke in Bible college. We were broke. Everybody was broke. Um, so I get to the church. I've got my sermon. And you know, I was a lot wiry back then. You've got the scaled down version. Um, I preached that morning to seven people. This is true. After the sermon, we're leaving, and the deacon says, Come here. And I go, Okay, good. He's going to give me a little bit of money. I didn't care what it was. And he popped his trunk. And he showed me some vegetables. And so I took the vegetables. And then I really started praying that I could make it home on the fumes that I had. My first little church there, I made $125 a week. And that was just enough to cover food for the month. But you know what? You know what I did for those seven people? I preached it as though there were 500. It doesn't matter the size, folks. What it matters is the quality and what you put into it. And when we get out in the world and we start talking about this, we're going to get flogged. Maybe not physically, but the world's not going to like us. And Paul says, look, we had all kinds of problems. So how did, Paul, how did Paul deal with it? So Paul had just been beaten, wrongly put in jail. Somebody got saved. A family got saved. He didn't say, I demand my rights. He didn't do that. Why didn't Paul do that? Because he, he knew God was there. And in the midnight hour, he's praising, singing, and bam, God shows up. And let me say this. When you're doing ministry, God will show up. And if you can touch one or two or three people, that's awesome because that's God doing that work. So the solution for Paul was uh, he he said, "No, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to stay out of trouble. We're not going to to do this gospel anymore." No, this is what Paul says. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. That, that kind of, uh, the original, uh, the gospel originates with God. So in a sense, it is the gospel of God. Jesus Christ is the mediator, but it is the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul says, uh-uh, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care. Parasyomai, which is the Greek word for boldness, and I'm gonna read it to you right from the Greek language. To have courage in the face of danger and opposition. I guess I took a trip back memory lane today, yesterday. Uh, Back in uh, 1992, there was a man, I think it was in one of the classes, you had to give up and, and share your testimony. And so John Brown, uh, who was an older gentleman, uh, when I say older, my age now, but <laughs> side the point. John Brown gave up and he gave a testimony of the power of prayer. And again, it's one of these things where I go, I'm never going to forget that. John Brown's son, back during the first uh, Gulf War, which my unit was in and which I watched and was pretty upset because I was not there, Um, John Brown's son was injured behind enemy lines and was pretty much left for dead. They sent a small Platoon behind enemy lines to rescue his son. It took them 24 hours to reach him. Can you imagine the courage of this eight man platoon going behind enemy lines? crossing, no doubt, landmines that have been laid down, going to get one soldier. They got John Brown's son. They rescued him, brought him back. He did lose one of his legs. I'm going to tell you, that's courage. That is courage. And Paul says, We're going to be courageous about this. In the face of adversity, in the face of danger, we're going to do our ministries. And there will be times when the world will say, you're nuts. There will be times when you're going to run into all kinds of difficulties and hardships. As I was looking at this, and I don't usually write my sermons on Saturday. just This was a really busy week back and forth to Springfield, uh, probably 12 hours on the road back and forth. I just did not have a time. I was exhausted. And so yesterday, as I'm writing this, I'm thinking about all of these things that are coming to mind. I, I think about the Middle East and Christians who are being persecuted like crazy over there because of the gospel, and yet the church is growing in the midst of this Hardship and trial, they will not back down. They are preaching the gospel, even though they're being pelted. That's courage. That's courage. You think it's not coming for us, brothers and sisters? It is. It's starting. Keep your religion out of my government. It's coming. The cultural landscape is changing rapidly. And the church will be under the microscope. And so we have an option. We can either fall away or we can say, you know what? I'm standing for the gospel. And we can make a stand and say, no matter what happens to us, you have to be nice about it, obviously. But it's amazing, and I'll say this, and I, I won't apologize for it. We have a two-tier system of judge, uh, justice. Churches being burned, Christians being beaten in the name of Christ, and yet there's nothing done about it. Okay. That said, do you think Paul would have turned around and said, What's? he didn't, he got beat, he got, in jail. He got thrown in jail. So we have to be able to say, okay, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing? The main thing is to preach the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul says it right here. If anybody could speak with authority on this, Paul could. This is our mission. We know man is lost. Lost. We have the gospel. By the way, salvation is not by works. Christ did the work for us. We put our faith in him and he saves us. That's the message. That's what we do no matter what happens to us. No matter what comes against us, we say, you know what? I'm going to attack this with not my fist. I'm going to attack this with prayer and pray that these people get saved. And that's what Paul did. You go ahead, hit me as hard as you want, and I'm going to still keep preaching the gospel message. And this could come into play in your places of business. Now, I do believe there's a place for this. Um, I don't believe you should be evangelizing people when you're supposed to be working for your employer, but if somebody asks you, then give an account for what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I was in a, on the line one day, this was when I was a section chief in Germany, and me and my boss, Sergeant Arroyo, were talking. He mentioned something about circumcision. I said, "You know, that's a biblical concept." What? And I shared the gospel with him just in that little two-minute span. He goes, "Really?" And I said, "Yeah, let me let me show you." And back in those days, they they called me Father Frazier. I don't know why I'm not Catholic. I'm not. I'm not I'm not Catholic. Look, share the gospel. Don't be afraid to share the gospel. If you don't know what to say, just say, I don't know the answer to that, and I'll get back to you, and I'll ask my pastor, deacon, Sunday school group. That was his solution. The problem was there was conflict with his ministry, and the solution was, I'm just going to keep preaching it. So let me encourage you, stay the course. Don't quit, don't give up, keep fighting, keep moving forward. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards, you're standing still. Paul says, no, we're not going to do that. Secondly, watch your motives. Um, Not only do we work through hardships, but we have to watch our motives. One of the big questions I've been telling you guys for... Well, since 2008. I don't know how many years. 15. The quickest way to get to the heart of your motives is to ask this question. Why am I doing what I am doing? <clears throat> what am I doing? Why am I doing what I am doing? Verse 3. For our gospel does not spring from error. Oh, let me get started here. <clears throat> Eugelion. Which is gospel, which is evangelism. That's the Greek, Greek word there, eugelion. That means good news. So Paul says, for our eugelion, our good news, does not spring from error. Plane. Plane, error. The content of that which misleads or deceives. Misleading belief, deceptive belief, Error or mistaken view. Yesterday I did a, uh, well, maybe, it might have been a couple of days ago. I sent you the link to that one guy. So I had, was thinking that maybe it was Tuesday, I can't remember. I did start working on the sermon Tuesday, didn't get hardly anywhere on it. But I typed in megachurches. <clears throat> one of the articles that popped up first were the, t- the 10 I clicked the link. Uh, the 10 mega churches in Texas. So I went to the first guy. 6,000 member church wouldn't know a sermon if it hit him in the face. I watched it for three minutes, and this is all it was. Do you want a blessing? Do you want God to touch your finances? Do you want this? I'm going to show you how to have prosperity. And I'm like, gee, Paul didn't have a... he, He was in jail. Paul didn't have anything. Jesus had no place to lay his head. It burns me up to no end when I hear these big preachers talking to people about their 401ks, about all of this other stuff, That has no purpose. Then I went to the second one. I went to the second one, clicked the link, found out that he was in prison for embezzlement. He's no longer the pastor there. After four or five of these, I go, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Not all. Not all. How empty would these churches become if we started preaching the gospel? Sin, repentance, not 24 ways to straighten your life out. Seven keys to financial prosperity. Three ways that you can live a better life. Joel Osteen was on this list. I didn't go there. Because I would have been throwing stuff at my screen. Uh, There was one, and I'm going to say this: not every mega church is like this. Newt Larson, my friend, and I can call him mentor because he was pastored. Well, there was I think twelve thousand at the Akron and another 15 at the green location, Newt would have never watered down the gospel. In fact, one Sunday morning, as I was listening to him, I heard him say, how dare you? Wow. Yeah. And Newt preached Friday night, Saturday night, four services Sunday. And I've heard a lot of his sermons, and there wasn't any fluff. This is amazing. And there's some good. Alistair Begg, um, boy Adrian Rogers. Kingdom lost a big one when he passed away. Not all are like that. But from the five or six that I listened to, and I could not listen long, because there was somebody screaming and I found out it was me. Um, If God gives you that, you have a greater responsibility to preach the truth so that people's lives can be changed. Newt Larson told me something a while back. I have contact with him every two weeks or so. But um, he said, you know, even at Akron, we had to pay staff to do jobs. Big church, pull away from it, don't have to do anything. So Newt Larson said, yeah. But Paul says here, I'm going to preach the gospel. And I'm going to stick to it. Second word that he uses here is impurity. I flip the other side and go purity. Or impurity. Now this word can refer to a sensual immorality. But more than likely it talks about the motives. Michael Martin in his commentary writes this. The specific references that follow this verse contain denials of greed, man-pleasing, and manipulative Uh, flattery. It is likely that these it is likely that these rather than sexual impropriety were the activities that Paul was denying. Paul was saying look my motives are right. You can do things with the wrong motives. Let me say this. It's never wrong to do the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. Or any attempt to deceive. Trust in God. Because he goes on to say it. So I just. Any attempt to deceive. dulos, Which is trickery. David Copperfield, one of the great illusionists. Do you remember him walking through the Great Wall of China? It was a big deal. It was, they showed a screen, showed him walking the Great Wall of China. They, they had a screen here. Of course, that's the first problem, right? You got a screen. Something's going on here. And... It looks like he vanishes. And then he comes out the other side, walking out, ripping the curtain. He walked through the wall of China. Now we all know that's quite impossible. But he's an illusionist. He's an illusionist. Paul says we don't use tricks. When I listen to somebody preach or when I'm preaching, I always got to be careful that I stick with the biblical text. Some of these churches may just use a little bit of gospel mixed with a bunch of hooey to make it sound like it's good. Paul says, I'm not going to trick people. Couldn't get a real good picture of him. (laughs) You all know who this is, right? Robert Tillman. Back in the day, he was telling people, I want want you to sow a seed. And of course, sowing the seed means you send money. And he said, now, if you send so-and-so money... I'm going to make sure that we pray for you. Now, this was back in the day when 2020 actually did news. They uncovered Robert Tillman, pastor, used the term loosely, took the money and they found thousands of prayers in the back alley in a garbage can. Tithe your money to the local church where there is accountability. Trickery, there's a bunch of them. Joel Osteen's at the top of my list. No. Really? Really? Jesse Duplantis, Kenneth Copeland. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them. Sorry if I stepped on some toes there, but... Um, we need to be above that. Our ministries should be legitimate. And what we do as a church should be legitimate. Lastly, and please God, not men... Please God, not men. Paul says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Underline that. Not to please man. Paul had been entrusted, you remember, on the road to Damascus. He was carrying a letter to put more Christians in prison. He was killing them. He had no problem with that. And you know, as fanatical as the Apostle Paul was, God changed his heart and he became just as just as wild and crazy and gung-ho as he was when he was unsaved, except this time he was on fire for God. If you've got somebody in, in your life that is so opposed, so opposed to the gospel message, pray for them because when they get saved if God chooses to save them and they trust in Christ watch out the people who are most antagonistic towards the gospel mostly will become fired up for the gospel because they have seen the light and that's that was Paul on this road to Damascus his life changed his life changed and God said I'm going to use by the way you all knew Paul was a Jewish scholar. He knew the Old Testament inward, backwards, forwards. He knew it. Who better than the Apostle Paul to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles? In fact, Paul writes this in Galatians 2, 7, and 8. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Stop there for a second. Can you imagine the early church, the Apostle Paul, breathing out threats, killing people, and all of a sudden he shows up saved? Test the water to see if he's saved. He says here, entrusted with the task of preaching to Gentiles, just as Peter had been approved to preach to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter the Apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry to the Gentiles. That was a life that was changed. And it took a radical conversion. But when he was converted, he was radically transformed and knew that the gospel was real and preached it with all of his heart. And this is what we've got to do. In our ministries, give it everything. Even if you only have three or four people that you're going to touch, you do it to the best of your ability. That's what I would encourage. But here's the thing. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the deacon's job. It's not just a Sunday school teacher's job to preach the gospel. I don't know which preacher said this, but it's lottti Dotty and everybody. <laughs> Jesus says, All authority is given me in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples. The presupposition here is the gospel. Because therefore go and make disciples presupposes that the person has been saved, and discipleship is not an option. baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. The next verse, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's all of our jobs. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be obnoxious, but don't be afraid to share the gospel message. Paul says, we've been approved, and let me just say this, You've been approved. Those of you that are saved, you're approved to share the gospel with those who are lost. It's part of our job. One of the things that Engage does right up front is encapsulates everything that should be the primary focus. We engage God in worship. That's our first response. We engage the lost in evangelism. That's our second response. That's what comes out of that. And after Easter, we're going to go through our five core values. I, I'm not going to test you because it's been a while, but um, it's on our website. Lastly, he knows. But to please God who tests our hearts. Dokimazo. God looks at, and that, what that means is genuineness. God looks to see what's in our heart, that's the most important thing. Tim Shenton in his commentary wrote this, They did not want or need man's approval because they had God's and that was enough. Ultimately brothers and sisters you play for an audience of one. And that audience matters. It's the audience between you and God that is most important. Yes, we're on a stage, so to speak, when we're out there claiming the name of Christ. Their interest was not their own self-importance, but to honor, but the honor of God. Let me say this. Live to please God, not men. Ministry is difficult. I want to encourage you to stay the course. Work through hardships. If you have hardships on your committee, your teams, work through those hardships. Devise plans under the watchful eye of God, but stay the course. Keep focused. Watch your motives. Watch your motives. <clears throat> Why you are doing what you are doing is a really good question. Am I doing this to bring glory to myself? Am I doing this for a secret agenda? Am I doing this? God knows. God knows. And So watch our motives. Make sure that you live your life to please him, not men.